0: this is the working drummer podcast working drummer podcast featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions real drummers with real stories about making a living in music
1: hey everyone this is matthew kraus and you are listening to the podcast working drummer today my guest is joel stevenette joel is one of those players that has probably come across your radar More than once, not too long ago, he did a tribute to Neil Peart. It was uh, almost 25 minutes long. You could have found it on YouTube. Currently, you can still find that on his Facebook page and Instagram with the music. Uh, You can find Just the Drums Only on YouTube. He also did something like that recently for one of the Rush songs, Natural Science. But Joel's resume is pretty broad. He spent a little over 10 years in Nashville and toured with some great artists like Jody Messina. Before he went back to Salt Lake City, where he now lives and works and spends a lot of time working in the studios in Salt Lake City, and you may ask yourself, what's going on in Salt Lake City? Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of production. There's a lot of studios that are putting out soundtracks for commercials and movies and video games. And that is one of the things where Joel did a lot of work and was able to grow his base uh, from the work that he did in uh, video game production and video game music in 2009, he had a PASIC performance where he demonstrated some of that. So again, Joel is one of those guys that you've probably seen or heard of in one form or another, either on YouTube or through other soundtrack things. So it was a real privilege to sit down and speak with Joel about his experience currently and how he's working in the studios under the current shutdown crisis, and uh, also his time in Nashville and how he learned how to network and kind of grow his self-worth there uh, within the music business. If you're interested in finding out more about this episode and all of the over 250 episodes that we've done here at Working Drummer Podcast, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, where you can subscribe to us. You can also follow us and subscribe to us on Spotify. Check us out there. So for those of you that are Patreon members, there's a brand new video on our page that you can access with a couple PDFs, something that I personally put together that was a challenge for me and a lot of fun to do, kind of a hand-foot combination thing that I discovered during the shutdown time where we all are spending maybe a little bit more time practicing and working on some new skills. So if you are a Patreon member, you can access that. If you are interested in becoming a Patreon member and supporting this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash working drummer. Patreon isn't your thing, then we have a PayPal option on our website. You can go there and make a one-time donation. We appreciate everyone's help over the years in keeping this podcast going strong. Here's my conversation with Joel Stevenette.
0: As far as any sessions, boy, it's, you know, ever since uh, the beginning of March, everything is just, you know, kind of dried up. Yes. But it seems to be coming back, you know, uh, a little at a time. So that's, that's a good thing.
1: Did you, did you guys do anything special? Like, did you take precautions? Did you stay in separate rooms?
0: No, I mean, it was just, it was actually just me and the engineer. huh. And so I took my drums in set up and, uh, you know, he was healthy. I was healthy. We've both been quarantined up to this point and everything was fine, you know? So,
1: you posted some pictures. I was curious to know what you took for the session and how maybe that informed you on what to bring.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, sometimes the information that I get is very aloof. Well, it's it's this and that. It could go this way. It could go that way. So I'll just be prepared. And I'm like, oh, okay. But yeah. yesterday was uh, fairly specific. It was just straight-ahead rock, Black Sabbath type stuff. Which I'm not a big Sabbath guy, but after yeah. you know, kind of diving into it, I'm like, man, this is really, really good stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And um, and just heavy and raw and authentic and and uh, so anyway. So yesterday, what I did, I brought a uh, um, I brought uh, a DW kit uh, that I have, and in this particular setup, it's uh, a 24 kick. Thirteen rack, fifteen floor, eighteen floor, and um, a bunch of different Paiste cymbals. I think I was playing a, a two thousand two twenty-two inch ride, uh, eighteen, nineteen, and twenty inch full crashes. Uh, signature dark, crisp hats. Oh, and then the snare that I just just always works. It's a, an old '80s Art Star eight by fourteen snare drum. Yes. <laughs> and that sucker, oh my gosh. That thing is a sleeper. I mean, if people don't know about that, it's a—it's uh, an amazing drum in the studio. It just seems like no matter what the room, uh, the space in the room, the air in the room, that drum always works.
1: Is that a birch shell?
0: Uh, this one is maple. Okay. So it's... its uh, It has a bird's eye maple interior, and then the outer is like a a black lacquer, kind of a gold mist that is kind of iridescent. You can only see it when it hits the light.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had something like that years ago, and I got rid of it. I'm so bummed I did, Um, just to keep to my collection. I I never would have realized how many snare drums... Are sometimes useful just to have the variety. I wish I had some oh, snare yeah. drums. I, I I think about those long lost snare drums. <laughs>
0: but but did you ever did you ever experience where it's like you know you get this collection of snare drums, but then as you start really getting to know what those drums do, mm-hmm. even though you've got you know several several handfuls of them, you're like oh it's usually two or three snare drums that always see the light of day. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think they have seasons too. You you know maybe the the the, for a year you you, this is your A drum and then and then it kind of I don't know for me it falls out of favor and then then the next year this no I
0: like that I like that word I I like I like that you said seasons yeah Mm I I would agree with that.
1: But some things just really work well in the studios, uh, maybe with certain studios and certain engineers. um, Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I want to do a quick shout out to Tad Jacobson. Years ago, when I was traveling and got to know Tad through some band members I was touring with, uh, he introduced me uh, to you not long after we started the podcast. And so you've been on my list for such a long time, I've been following what you've been doing. And uh, so, shout out to Tad for uh, reintroducing you to me. And um,
0: Tad is a beautiful human being. He's such yeah. a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's great.
1: Yeah. And it's been fun to dig deeper into what you've been doing, and I've also realized how closely our paths have crossed in in different ways. <laughs> From being in Nashville, I've been here since 2000. You, I know you left in, what, 2004?
0: Yeah, 2004. I was there, I think I, I got out there around 93, 94. So I was I was there for a good 10 or 11 years. and mm-hmm. just loved it. Just yeah. loved it.
1: While we're sitting in Salt Lake City... And Mm -hmm. talking about the session work, Uh, when we chatted briefly last week, you were talking a little bit about kind of the attraction there and what has worked so well for you uh, since your move. Can you tell us about the scene, about what's been keeping you busy since that time?
0: Sure. Sure. I'll just back up just a little bit, but, yeah. um, I remember, okay. So I'm originally from Alberta, Canada, and then, uh, mom and dad moved the whole family down to Utah when I was a kid. And then, uh, you know, schooling, all that kind of stuff. And then I moved out to Nashville and, uh, and then was touring with uh, a bunch of different artists, but more so when I was with, um, Jody Messina, a country artist, anytime we had two, three, four days off, I would fly back to Utah and do these sessions for give, uh, video game soundtracks. And so that started to happen more and more. And uh, I just realized that, you know, how much I loved and missed Utah and the drier climate and and just the vibe there, which was just wonderful. But uh, there was only a handful of studios that we're doing these things. And then not only just the video game stuff, it was like movie trailers and all sorts of uh, network themes and library music and all this kind of stuff. And, And so the more that I went back, the busier I became. And I think it was, yeah, I guess it was 04 when I decided to move back to Salt Lake and it was just, you know, in the studio literally six days a week. That's amazing. Uh, just Yeah, and and it's like, oh, hey, Joel, this just came in. Uh, can you stick around and play on that? And I, I do that, and then all of a sudden, there was another and another, and it's like, can you come back tomorrow? And it just, you know, for the next several years, it was just nonstop, and it was just amazing. But the cool thing about that, Matt, was that um, I had spent the majority of my life uh, playing live, which yeah. I absolutely love. And uh, so being in the studio that much, you know, I did some sessions in Nashville and demos and some recordings and whatnot. And that was absolutely wonderful and worked with some amazing musicians and producers and songwriters and engineers. and um, But coming to Salt Lake is just to be in the studio every day, all day, and really getting to know what your drums do and what mics work and the spacing and playing and in-ear mixes and, you know, the list goes on and on. Boy, I just fell in love with it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay here for a while. Yeah. That was the allure to come here. And since then, it's been pretty much nonstop just with sessions. And then I divide that time uh, with doing... You know, one-offs with different artists, uh, a few different country artists here and there. And uh, also, I do a lot of, like, corporate band gigs as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the vibe here, there's some amazing, amazing uh, musicians here and some really epic studios. And those studios, you know, are doing everything from, again, video games to uh movie trailers to you know the nba theme and all the espn stuff and nightly news packages and you know kind of coming back a few minutes ago where you're like sometimes you don't realize what you're getting into when you show up at the studio but you'll go in there for one thing and then all of a sudden another producer will show up and say Oh, you've got a drummer here! Hey, can I tack this song onto <laughs> a session? Then all of a sudden, you know, you're doing stuff for like, you know, where in the world is Matt Lauer and the Today Show and yeah. this theme and that theme and Oprah Winfrey and
1: yeah.
0: you know, yada yada yada. And so it's you're like, I, I I'm cool. a cool,
1: I'm a person. I have a name. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I
0: have exactly. But it, it's so funny where it's 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 it doesn't have that machine feel, but they really pump out a lot of music here like a lot of music and so when I have friends that are either you know studio musicians or uh whatever and they say well Salt Lake I mean who'd have thought And I said I know who'd have thought but you know what it's a great place to raise a family the environment's great I love the weather I love the mountains yeah and uh there's some amazing people here and uh there's um, just some real talent here
1: as well. What we all know and what I've discovered more and more through doing this podcast is that there's talent everywhere. Oh, absolutely. And it's amazing. and But I also wonder how the dynamics change in opportunity for, you know, when I was living in Columbus, Ohio, where I grew up, there was some amazing talent that I learned so much from. Um, there were there was opportunity, but there was limited opportunity. That's why I moved to Nashville. But there's more opportunity, but the, also the um, competition is mm-hmm. fierce. The um, the talent and the uh, I, I, you know the, the, some of the recognizable names are here uh, for good or ill that sometimes um, dominate the. Oxygen in the air. You know what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, totally get what you're saying. So
1: it's I'm not I'm not I don't think big fish small pond small fish big pond is necessarily a good analogy. But I'm curious to know how maybe Salt Lake City has been a better fit for you in being a pro player to come into a situation where the people are like I've got my guy. It seems that's kind of the impression well. I'm getting.
0: Yeah, you know, and again just kind of doubling back like Nashville was amazing mm-hmm. and the touring and uh recording and everything and what I loved about Nashville it's like everywhere you went everybody spoke like like language and they were all like-minded and so there was yeah. just, you know, to what you were saying there's some amazing drummers bass players, guitar players, keyboard players, songwriters, all that stuff in Nashville. Like if you're serious, you know, that's where you want to go or go to L.A. or New York or, or any other major, major hub that's like-minded where it's happening. Now, you were saying Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Um, I was just introduced by uh, uh, Garrison, my buddy over at DW, to a guy by the name of Steve Stein Now, i had never heard of Steve Stein, but he Hmm. goes, Joel, he goes, you need to get to know this guy. And uh, so I checked him out, and I went on to uh, his YouTube channel. He's got almost a half a million subscribers. And I'm like, wait, what? Who is this guy? And so he uh, does guitar tutorials on YouTube, and he's out of Fargo, North Dakota. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think, you know, in life, we have the beauty of just choosing what we want to do and the type of lifestyle that we want to lead, if it's family or kids and music and try to have that balance. And, and uh, you know, you can certainly have it in any of those major, major cities. Um, but for me, I was just like, man, I, I just really love Utah and I love the diversity. I love the seasons. Um, you know, I grew up skiing in Canada, so I do a lot of skiing here uh, in Utah and, uh, with my kids. And so it's, it's, uh, for me, it's just, it's a nice balance of, uh, life mm-hmm. and, uh, family and music and, and still being able to, um, you
1: know, come home at night. Yeah. What a concept. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, seriously. Well, you know, as you know, I mean, cause I remember Nashville, I mean, for the time that I was there, my gosh, I was on the road, you know, close to 200 days a year. Yeah. And, you know, you'd you'd come, you know, and Nashville's a, a lot different than, you know, your normal rock tours where they go out for, you know, three to five days at a time. And maybe if you do a West coast run, you might be gone for a week, week and a half. And then maybe if you go through Canada two, three weeks, but, but then you come home and you've got time to, you know, attend to personal items. And then you have bus call again at like a Wednesday night at midnight and you're gone till sunday you know right, right right but uh but still you know you're gone a lot and uh so i just came across a thing where i was like oh okay i can have some balance here and and uh sleep in my own bed at night
1: yeah yeah And now we're kind of, uh, all those tours have stopped and it's really interesting to see how things might change uh, permanently uh, moving forward. Um, But I think there's a a lot of people discovering the ability to work remotely and uh, get their heads inside inside technology. I've got a couple questions for you about what was it specifically that maybe you learned when you started doing more sessions? Can you pinpoint something that might be uh, useful for someone maybe not experienced in the studio or getting just getting there?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting about studio work, you know, a lot of people won't take a chance on you. It's kind of like getting credit. Well, how do you get credit if you don't have credit? You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. And uh, And I remember when I was in Nashville, you know, I was you know, talking to anybody and everybody and just saying, man, Hey, I'm available. If you need drums on a song or whatever, I'll do it for this. I'll do it for nothing. And you know, more oftentimes than not, Oh, well, you know, the producer's got his, you know, handful of guys that he always uses Sure. and you're like, how do you break into that? You know, when you don't have that experience or maybe you do have some experience from, you know, a previous, you know, city that you lived in, but just to have someone give you that chance and um, all I can tell you is that you just keep knocking on doors, you keep meeting people, you keep going to those singer-songwriter nights and, and just meet as many like-minded people as possible. Mm-hmm. And the more that they get to know who you are, what you are, how you are, and, and what kind of a hang you are and your abilities, uh, you'll, you'll find that you're going to start getting busy pretty quickly. But, you know, you have to want that like you want air.
1: (laughs) Yes, okay.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. You you, you can't just, you just can't have a toe in the water. It's like, hey, man, if you want to do this, then you know what? Uh, Start taking yourself seriously and make it happen. And uh, I know, you know, I'm going to probably throw out, you know, some cheesy one-liners, but, you know, it's that whole, if it's to be, it's up to me. You can't sit at home, wait on uh, wait on the couch and, and uh, or sit on the couch and wait for the phone to ring. It's yeah. like you have to be really proactive with, well, with anything in life. Exactly. And so, mm-hmm. so with the studio thing, I have uh, different students, friends of mine, guys that are in uh, university that are, you know, getting ready to graduate that will ask me, man, how do I get recording? How do I get into the studios? And I said, well... I said, you have a really great opportunity right now. And they're like, well, how so? I said, well, most universities have uh, recording studios. I said, I'd be knocking on that door, going to the recording program. You know, I think uh, most universities now teach uh, Pro Tool classes, and I would just start offering your services to start playing on student projects or any project
1: that they're doing. That's great. That's, that's, I love that. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, coming back to what you were saying, well, you know, I lived in Columbus. Well, yeah, I live in Salt Lake. And before that, I lived in, uh, Innisfail, Alberta, which, you know, that was, you know, a town of 2,500 people. But my point is, is that I think there's opportunity anywhere that you go, depending on what you're going for. And so as far as going into the studio, a lot of the stuff that I've learned is just, Your tone, what your drums can do, what Mm -hmm. head combinations work best for different genres of music, Um, and being prepared with, you know, coming in and getting great sounds right off the bat. Yeah. Um, And uh, also being a positive influence in the room, Uh, because sometimes it can be a little tense, but if you can be that light of positivity and just saying, hey, man. We got this. We're going to figure this song out. Maybe if the arrangement's not quite straight, but uh, but yeah, you know, for the most part, tone, drums, head combinations, uh, miking techniques, uh, and really making sure uh, that you make the engineer your ally.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Because the last thing you want to do is go in there with you know this attitude or that attitude. You know, everybody's there to do the same thing you're all on the same team and that's to just make great music with great people and at the end of the day everybody's supporting each other musically and and uh and in the studio and oh what was it It was uh indugu chancellor uh my gosh such an amazing human being Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and a phenomenal player and he just said you know i'm a servant I'm there to serve the music. And he always used this phrase, taste and space. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it's so great. And I would have to assume taste and space, you know, can be attributed to so many facets in, in any genre. Whether you're playing prog rock or metal or Norwegian death metal or smooth jazz or pop or pop country or rock or old school, whatever, folk music, whatever it is. If you're playing 220 beats a minute or fifty-five beats a minute, you still want to have that taste and space where it sounds comfortable, mm-hmm. relaxed. And and you're you're creating, you know, an area which everything else can be, you know, built upon. And so being in the studio has really uh, allowed me to hone that craft of just having, you know, or creating taste and space. Cause there are times where I, I'm like, Oh, that felt really good. And then I'll go back in the control room and listen to it. I'm like, man, I was, I was a little busy in that chorus, <laughs> even though I thought I was, I, I thought it was like the most simplistic thing that I could have played. But, uh, you really get to know what you need to do and then to trust your instincts because a lot of people, uh, a lot of drummers will say, oh my gosh, but doesn't it get nerve-wracking or aren't you nervous when you go in and play? Well, again, if you shift the it's not about me and all eyes are on me, if you shift that and you shift it towards the music and say, hey, it's not about me, it's about the song, Yeah. hopefully that'll relieve some pressure.
1: Right, it, it, to, to not try and impress the drummer who's exactly. going to hear it. Mm-hmm
0: exactly yeah, exactly
1: and be a servant and and a lot of these ideas and concepts are i feel like there's more weight and more gravity to them being important as a session player because of technology allows people to consider maybe not using a real drummer uh, in certain situations
0: oh i get that all the time oh my gosh yeah but 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 you know matt it's interesting where uh you know, these composers will write these like c- cinematic themes or um, I'll give you an example. Uh, this is, doesn't sound like I'm name dropping because it's not my intent. But <laughs> uh, my, my friend Lyle Moore, who composes all the music or the, the theme songs for the NBA yeah. since like 05, 0405, you know, you'll hear a lot of that stuff. And there's like a lot of electronic sample type things in there. But Lyle will call me up and just say, "Hey man, we need live drums to like really, you know, punch people in the in the chest." Yeah. And so they'll do a mixture of both. And I can't count how many times I've gone into a studio where I'm replacing or playing along with a loop or a sample or this or that because they still want that human element, that feel, that resonance, that acoustic element. With that hybrid of electronic, uh, you know, samples and things like that, so that happens a lot.
1: And and they're they're not only bringing you in for the tones, but they're bringing in you you in for your ideas. I mean, I'm guessing that you're playing along with these tracks, but you're also adding in some flavor that only a drummer and the way a drummer thinks can bring to the table. And that producer or writer can kind of check that off their list. It's like, well, this is the drummer. This is the expert in the room
0: that that and that's i would agree with that um reason being is that i can literally count one hand where someone has actually given me drum notation that usually happens more more or less with like film scores
1: mm-hmm. but
0: when i go into a session it's usually some kind of a roadmap or a chord chart uh you measures time signatures and things like that and there may be some you know, signature hits and pushes and, and whatnot. But they're relying on me to, you know, read between the lines and and what I do yeah. on that track.
1: And is there anything that's special about doing a film score or a commercial track that may be different than a songwriter or maybe a typical session that a lot of us are more familiar with?
0: When you do video games uh, or in film scores, You're know, you going to get a lot of different flows, different time signatures, where the click will be going along at maybe 120 beats a minute and then slows down to 78 beats a minute. You're going to be able to follow that. Mm -hmm. And so that happens a lot, too. I remember they would have uh, a large video monitor in the room and uh, show us the gameplay. So like, uh, oh, for instance... I think it was, uh, there was a mountain bike game that I played on called uh, Downhill Domination. And they wanted some type of drum texture, color, was going to go on with this buck walking down this single track. And then if the bike happened to go off the cliff, what would the drummer play? And, um, and that happened a lot too on, um, oh, what's one of the other games that comes to mind? the Sony game, uh, see Twisted Metal head-on for the deep-speed little handheld device. Yeah. The producer wanted uh, you to pick pick different countries that you would race your cars in. And in one of the countries, I think it was like up at the North Pole or Iceland or somewhere, and they wanted uh, different drum textures when the cars were going around the corners spitting out rocks, gravel, ice. So, you know, you start stacking cymbals and chinas, and, you know, I've got Every drum disposal with gong drums and octabons and all sorts of little things here and there and, and different cymbal textures. And you just start experimenting, and all of a sudden they're like, yep, that's it. Okay, on to the next one.
1: <laughs> Do you even listen back, or are they just like, here you go, remove? Uh,
0: probably about 50%. Yeah. Uh, you know, that you'll listen back, but most of the time. When I was doing, um, oh, let's see, Uh, one of the themes for the World Cup soccer, uh, I remember uh, the producer, Jed. I I was in uh, this studio called L.A. East here in Salt Lake City that uh, Warner Chapel owns now, and I do a lot of recording there and a lot of library music and all that kind of stuff. And this is where we did uh, the NBA and also the World Cup soccer theme. And I remember him, you know, coming back to me on the on the chart and just saying, okay, Joel, at uh, measure 35, I need you to do a pickup and I need you to do a 30-second note fill that's going to drop down and then uh, moving forward to measure 68, blah, blah, blah. Like just talking a mile a minute, I'm like, well, whoa, whoa, wait, what, what, what? Mm-hmm. And I've got my pencil, I'm trying to write stuff in, and you're hoping that you got it. And you're like, okay, go ahead, count it off. <laughs> and you just, you know, a lot of times you're just like, oh, wait, what happened? Okay, just use the force. Just use the force, you know? But, you know, that's where you have to kind of like trust your instincts and hopefully remember because, you know, they're just spitting out information because time is money yep. and yep. and the clock is running and there's budgets and all that kind of stuff. But um, you just get it done and try not to sweat it even though you're just going, holy crap, what, what was that? I've been in... Uh, many, many studios that, you know, the drum rooms are small, but maybe with high ceilings or it's a huge room, you know, depending on what they've got, I I usually get really good drum sounds from whoever's, you know, behind the glass or or working the controls. So um, for those of you out there that are considering doing like a a home studio or just a, a, a drum space where you can start playing people's tracks and, and start file short sharing. Man, go for it. There's oh who's that guy? Younger guy in Nashville. He's got a storage shed that he rents.
1: I just watched a video of him last yes. Night. That's like, so and he uses crazy like say, three yes. mics, like two overheads
0: and a kick mic and and the kick is right against the the the, the metal door.
1: It's. I just saw that last night. It's so crazy oh, what to is say his that. Name? I don't remember, but it, it was. He was using two mics on the 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 video that I saw, but yeah, he, he he did a nice job.
0: Yeah, and he's a great player. I think he's. I can't remember who he was touring with, but
1: Love and Theft, I think, briefly was one of the groups he was playing with.
0: That 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 sounds familiar. Yeah, but yeah, he's a younger younger kid, probably in his mid mid, late twenties, I think, but drum sounds. And you know, you, when I watch his videos on YouTube, I'm just thinking, man, this kid has got passion. He's got drive and, um, he knows what he's talking about. He's obviously done his homework and he's obviously got amazing follow through. And that's, that's half the battle is the follow through. And so he's making it work and he's got killer drum sounds. So, All I'm saying is that, you know, don't let your space be a deterrent for doing great things.
1: It's a great point. Uh, And I think the follow through thing is really important. There's so much information out there and sometimes it's hard to narrow it down and it seems overwhelming as well is there anything that you are watching or following i know you mentioned this this gentleman this young guy and i'm gonna look mm-hmm. it up actually on my laptop here in my history cause it's so funny uh jeff randall yep jeff randall
0: It looks like a younger johnny rad
1: yeah yeah jeff randall uh that's that's great i'd ch- check him out
0: i was going to say that steve brewster just one of the the nashville greats in my opinion uh my gosh he would show up to profession and then have you know all the capability to program and do loops right there on the fly yeah i remember um being a fly on the wall when he was doing fishing with dan and dan would hey, let's say five, uh, Steve's going to do a a quick loop for us, and then we'll come back and get going. And within minutes, he would have a loop for the entire song. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, who is this guy? And another guy that would do that would be, um, I think it was Paul Lyme. I experienced uh, that. And, uh, you know, just, yeah, amazing talent. But but again, just kind of, you know, drummers having to wear many hats. It is so, so true. And I saw that firsthand being in Nashville many, many years ago. And it's even more so uh, relevant today. I remember when I first got to Nashville, my brother, Daryl, was living there, and we were in line at McDonald's. And I was like, Daryl, man, I I just got to meet some people. I just got to, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what door to open first or who to talk to first. He goes, well, Joel, you need to do the three-foot rule. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I go what? I go the three foot rule. He goes, check this out. He, my brother, turns around, introduces himself to the guy behind us. That introduces me. The guy tells my brother Daryl. I think his name was Dave or something. And Dave, oh hey, this is my brother Joel. He he just moved to Nashville and he's a drummer and yeah. And so Dave, what do you do? He goes, oh I'm in finance. He goes, oh that's great. And then Dave went on to say something. He goes, oh yeah, but one of my best friends is in Reba McIntyre's band and yada yada. Yeah. And he goes, Oh, good to meet you. And and they exchange cards. Yeah. And then he turned around and he goes, that's how it's done. <laughs> oh I'm like, God. dude, people are going to think I'm a psycho. If I do that, he goes, trust me, Joel, it works. That's crazy. I'd love to share an experience with you, please. Um, I go to this drum clinic and it's during summer nam, and w- the, the drum clinic is over in this just hot, sweaty, muggy warehouse. Uh, just, just uh, a block or two away from the convention center And the drum clinic is uh, with Dan Tomlinson, who at the time was drumming with uh, Lyle Lovett. Okay. Well, Dan, there's probably about 150 people there, 150 drummers, all set up in chairs, kind of semi-circle around the drum kit. And Dan had also brought this bass player to show the marriage and the connection between, you know, right foot, right hand, bass player, drummer. And so, in the clinic, Dan goes, hey, I want to thank everybody for coming out. And I want to thank my friend Bush for kind of playing the bass. And I'll go ahead and finish up with a solo. And then anybody that wants to come over and check out my kit, take pictures, sign autographs, I'm happy to do that. Well, he gets done standing ovation. Everybody just goes whoosh, whoosh, real to the left by the drum kit. And I'm kind of sitting by myself, just kind of gathering my belongings. I look over to the right. The bass player, by himself, packing up his gear, rolling up his instrument cable. And what I do? I went up and went straight over to Butch. Yeah. And I said, Butch, I said, you don't know me, but my name is Joel Stevenette. And I said, man, I really enjoy your playing. Oh, yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I said, man, I, if you've got time this week, I'd love to go to lunch and just pick your brain. Yeah. Butch agrees to, to go do lunch. So we go do lunch on like a Tuesday. So this is like Saturday yeah. at the drum clinic. We go to lunch on a Tuesday or Wednesday. We're literally at lunch for like two hours just talking shop and talking uh, music and talking uh, about albums that we grew up and, and loved listening to. And, you know, again, coming back to the beginning of our conversation, hanging out with people uh, that are like-minded and speaking like-minded language. And uh, I'm telling you, man, you get a drummer and a bass player talking and, and, you know, get comfortable. Yeah. And so I said, I said, hey, Butch, I said, I hope this doesn't sound too forward but i live like a mile from here and i've got a small pa set up in my garage do you want to come over and jam for like an hour or half an hour he goes he goes yeah let's let's go jam (laughs) i'm like okay sure so we go back to my garage we're jamming for like 45 minutes and just hanging out and things are really cool and so he goes hey He goes this has been a lot of fun but he goes i got to get taken off but he goes hey um, I'm playing this weekend with this new female duo, uh, downtown at some club, uh, on Saturday night. And if you and your wife would like to come, I'll leave a couple of tickets and we'll call. I said, Oh, that sounds great. So fast forward a couple of days, I go to the show and the show's great. He comes out after the show. Cause we're just kind of hanging. And, uh, I said, Butch, I said, the band was great. I said, uh, the vocals were killer. Your playing was wonderful. The mix was great. And he just goes, oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. But he goes, they're not really psyched about their drummer. I'm like, really? And uh, he goes, well, he goes, "Uh, I just found out that they're holding auditions on Tuesday. And they've got seven drummers lined up for it. I said, Butch, if there's a way to be on that list, I said, that would be amazing. He goes, well, here, let me give you the name and number of the manager Give him a call tomorrow. Let him know that, uh, that I recommended you and just see what happens. And I said, okay. So Sunday morning, 11 a.m., I called this guy. His name's Steve Getzman. Uh, and I said, hey, Steve, good morning. My name's Joel, Steve, and I said, you don't know me, but we have a mutual friend, Butch Dillon. And uh, he goes, oh, yeah, Butch. I said, yeah, and I caught the show last night and the band sounded great. And uh, he also told me that you guys are uh, possibly considering... Uh, filling the drum chair and he goes, yeah, he goes, "Uh, we're going to do some auditions on Tuesday, but we've already got uh, seven guys lined up. And I said, well, Steve, if there's a possibility of just coming in and maybe even playing, you know, a verse or maybe a verse and a chorus, I said, uh, I I would be so grateful if you could make that happen. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, he goes, Joel, we're pretty good right now, but uh, if anything changes, we'll let you know. I said, okay. I said, well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for, uh, let me, let me talk. And you know, take good care. Right. Well, about four hours later, my phone rings and uh, I said, hello. He goes, yeah, Joel. I said, yeah. He goes, Hey, it's Steve. I'm like, Oh, Hey Steve. He goes, I just talked to the girls and they said that they would like to hear you while they're eating lunch. (laughs) And I said, great. And, uh, he goes, stop by the uh, office tomorrow, pick up a CD. And uh, I said, no need. I said, I'll go to tower records and pick it up right now. So that's when Tower Records was around. Right, so exactly. I went over to Tower, I got it, and I'm telling you, Matt, for the next 48 hours, I lived and breathed that CD. Mm-hmm. I knew every part, every nook and cranny, every snare hit, every drum fill, every single uh, simple crash, all of it. And, uh, and so I was asked to learn uh, one song, two songs. But I was like, I'm going in with the whole album. And so I take my snare drum in and a pedal, because they said they're going to have a drum kit there. And uh, it's just like a dark little club on a stage, dimly lit. And I introduce myself to the band. I hook up my pedal, put the snare off, and I put the snare on. And uh, the bass uh, player, Butch, just says, okay, Joel, count it off whenever you're ready. And Matt, I was so... nervous. (laughs) nervous. <laughs> oh my gosh. I felt like my right leg could have done 30 second notes on the bass drum. I was like kind of shaking but kind of like smiling with a little bit of a poker face. Yeah. Yeah. And so I count, this, I count this song off like one, two, three, whatever it was. And literally I'm playing along right at the chorus. I see the shadow walking towards the stage with this guy taking his hand and crossing it over his neck, like cut, cut, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I go, what? And so the band just kind of falls apart, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it was Steve and Steve goes, okay, Joel, thanks. We've heard enough. Thanks for coming in. We appreciate your time. And I'm like, wow. I said, Oh, I said, I was actually just only kidding about, you know, playing a verse and chorus, but I said, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. I packed up my pedal, my snare drum, shook everybody's hands, started walking out. And, uh, Steve goes, hey, if you wouldn't mind, just wait up, wait up in the parking lot. I'll be out in a few minutes. I said, okay. So I put my stuff away out in my car and about 10 minutes later, he comes out and, uh, he says, uh, do you want the gig?
1: Wow. Okay. I said, Yes, I do. Yeah.
0: And he goes, well, you got it. They want you. And I, and I, and I you know, and, and I guess as a salesman, they say, you know, after you, after you've sold the product, don't say a word. And I remember saying, well, but don't you, don't you have like four more drummers to come in? And after that, she goes, don't worry about it. He goes, they want you.
1: I'm yeah. like, okay. Yeah. That's... And
0: that was my, that was my first audition, my first gig. And coming back to what we talked about in the beginning of the conversation where I wanted that audition and I wanted that gig like, a, like I wanted air.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, uh, that was, that was my, the start to my journey uh, in Nashville, uh, playing live and touring was because of my brother recommending the three foot rule and going to that drum clinic and going over and talking to Butch
1: and going to lunch and, you know, and here we are just making it happen. Uh, Was that the Wilkinson's? Oh. Uh,
0: that was actually Regina Regina on Giant Records. Okay. And then from there, I went to Mila Mason, who was on Giant, and then I went to uh, the Wilkinsons, okay. who were on Giant.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah, uh, and then from there, it was uh, Jody Messina for several years.
1: Yeah. The uh, My co-host, Zach, did an interview with a drummer, and his name is escaping me, but but they talk about the concept of pretending or acting like an extrovert in this business. If you are an introvert, if this is your nature, you need to uh, find ways to interact in a positive and outgoing way. You know, you, you you can't not be yourself, but at the same time, there are things that, tricks you can, o- to overcome some of this uh, shyness, some of this introvert behavior to play th- I hate to use this word, to play the game or to do what's necessary to be heard, to then make the connection. Then once that's established, maybe you can go back to being yourself, you know, to a degree. Uh, But it's just getting over that hump to put yourself out there and find those uncomfortable situations to overcome so that people can hear you and man that that the fact that that audition happened because you reached outside your comfort zone following your brother's advice it's i love that It's so great
0: well and you know believe it or not like in my younger years i was such a shy kid oh my gosh, so shy. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I was a kid, like I-, I would be practicing drums in the basement, and if anybody came downstairs and around the corner, I would just stop playing. I was the oh, same. Oh, come on, just play. We've got, na- yeah, we got the neighbors over. And I'm- no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. And then they, they'd leave and go upstairs, and I'd start playing again. And I'd see my mom's hair, you know, kind of poking around the corner, and I would just stop, <laughs> and I'd just be like, Oh my gosh. But, but you know what's interesting about what you were saying moments ago is that I think anybody that's listening that you know if you experience any of this kind of stuff find people that you can talk to about what you love to do mm-hmm. or what they love to do and you know kind of coming back to the like-minded thing because or like language because it's like we all love music or we we all have such passion for for playing our instruments and and hearing others play their instrument and going to concerts and shows and listening to albums and, and, oh my gosh, there, there's, there's more common ground than you realize, uh, that when you can you know, start a conversation with someone and get out of your comfort zone. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, well that, that wasn't so hard because you you're talking about like-minded things.
1: Do you think that, that Butch gave the band a heads up and said, listen, just this guy is our guy. Uh, it just let him play just for a few minutes, but trust me, because you guys hung together, you had a good conversation, you played together. Do you think that was a, that was an yeah. element?
0: You know, I don't know. And I, I don't know if, if that happened or if it didn't happen. Um, but all I know is that, uh, Butch was cool and he was cool enough to take time to talk to me. And I really wanted to hang out with this bass player. And if if he, had, if he did that, well, thank you, Butch. But, you know, I'll probably never know, but I'm certainly grateful for the chance that uh, they took on me. And not only that, I just, you know, coming back to meeting Butch, you know, thank you for being cool and thank you for being approachable. Because some people kind of put off the air or the vibes that they don't want to be spoken to. And, uh, but I think in this business, it's important to, to, to maintain that, you know, people can talk to you and you can be a good hang. Uh, I remember Todd Zuckerman saying, look, I remember the people that were cool to me. And I remember the people that were jerks to me. <laughs> and, uh, he goes, look, he goes, it only takes a few seconds to be cool. Yeah. It only takes a few seconds to 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 say hello to a fan and to sign an autograph before hopping on a bus. And um, even Getty Lee hmm. from Rush, I mean, I've seen enough interviews with those guys where Getty goes, you know, I made a, a decision years ago that, hey, if someone comes up to me and is nice to me, guess what? I'm going to take the time. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. sometimes those people are really nervous, but he goes, I try to take control of the situation and, and, make them comfortable. I found an autograph and take a picture. And then I send them on their way because it's, it's no big deal. And I just thought, you know, I think, I think that's so important in life, no matter on what level you are, is just to be kind and cool to people. And, uh, you know, just to, to really pay it forward and to be genuine. Um, I'm kind of going off here yeah, on a tangent, but sure. you know, we've all been to enough NAM shows where, You know, some some drummers are really cool and other drummers are not quite as approachable. But I remember one guy, uh, Abe Laborial Jr., completely approachable, sweetheart of a guy, just kind. Another guy, Nico McBrain. Nico, obviously Iron Maiden. (laughs) You've got just all these fans and drummers, you know, hovering around waiting to talk to him or get a picture. But when he talks to you, he talks to you eye to eye and he talks to you like there's nobody else
1: around. I love that.
0: You know, I mean, isn't isn't that isn't that cool and isn't that a gift where it's like someone would care enough to just, you know, make you feel that way.
1: That's so good to know that there's a great documentary on Iron Maiden I've been watching during this shutdown, (laughs) because they're on YouTube They're like two Uh hours apiece, but that's so fun. A a, a friend of mine, Link Denton, a great guitar player here in town, has a, he's a super funny guy. He wants to come on the podcast and be the first air drummer I've ever interviewed. Uh, That's his level of humor. (laughs) I love it. I'm about ready to take him up on it, but he has the Nashville handshake he jokes about. And what it is is, as you're shaking the person's hand, you're looking around the room for a more important person to meet at the same time no that's funny yeah that's awesome and he does a great demonstration <laughs> hey man how you it. doing while well, he's scanning the room like there's got to be somebody more Just important
0: in the room like i, I appreciate you but uh, there's got to be somebody better than in,
1: in here <laughs> that is so funny This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com. My
0: gosh, I think I started banging on pots and pans when I was three. And, you know, I was raised on a, a farm, just outside of Innisfail, just kind of between Red Deer and Innisfail. Mm -hmm. And in fact, let me just kind of go on a side note. There's a drummer uh, who now lives in L.A. by the name of Shane Galas. And Shane played with uh, the Bees, which is kind of like the biggest band in Japan. And he played for them for like 18 plus years. But Shane is an amazing player. Uh, And we both grew up in that same small town. Wow. In Innisfail of like 2,500 people, like literally just so anyway, Shane's incredible. So I remember, you know, we, we both grew up together and listening to, you know, Kiss and all this other kind of stuff. But anyway, back to the pots and pans, I would literally set up pots and pans, smallest to largest, in front of my mom and dad's stereo and break out the butter knives and just start wailing on that stuff, playing the Beatles and Gordy Lightfoot and Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. And I remember... Um, uh, another album that was around was uh, Boss Gags and Band, uh, which I just grew up listening to all sorts of boss gags and Earth, & and Fire and Kenny Loggins. and uh, Oh, my gosh, the list just goes on and on. And it wasn't until I moved to Utah when I was 11, just turning 11, that uh, my buddy Mike we were up hanging out at his house and he played me Van Halen for the first time running with the devil.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and uh, maybe, maybe it was a, a year or two after. Cause I think I was like maybe, maybe 13 or 14 at that time. But anyway, uh, I listened to that running with the devil. and I'm like, Holy cow. This is incredible. And you know, I, I uh, wrote this down somewhere, but it's like, you know, we, I came from a religious family and so running with the devil, I'm like, should I be listening to this? You know, I'm like 13, 14 years old, <laughs> but it was just so amazing. It was just so life changing and so inspiring. And then Mike had said uh, to me, he goes, uh, he goes, well, have you ever heard of Rush? And I said, I go, who? He goes, Rush. I said, no. He goes, well, dude, he goes, they're from your homeland in Canada. I said, they are. <laughs> I said, well, dude, put it on. And so he dropped the needle on the vinyl of uh, Permanent Waves, which was the spirit of radio. Jeez! Oh, and dude, I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding? What is this? You know, and imagine, you know, back then there's no YouTube, there's no Google, there's no none of that stuff. And so to hear this band for the very first time as such a you know a young kid, and and just having such passion for playing, I was just my life was changed. Yeah. And, um, from then on out, it was just playing that album over and over and over and over again, hundreds, and hundreds of times because it just resonated with me. Yeah. And not to be sappy, but it's like, you know, when someone, something resonates with you, it's like heart and soul. It's like in there where you're like, this makes sense to me, whether it's, uh, whether it's the lyric, uh, or the melody or the textures of the instruments, or sonically, whatever it is, it just resonated with me, and all that Rush stuff did. You know, along with a lot of other stuff that I was listening to at the time as well, but it was, it was certainly Rush that I started really cutting my teeth on, just practicing in the basement, and just going over those songs with a fine-tooth comb, and just listening, listening, listening. And I remember my dad buying me a little cassette uh, Sony Walkman, when I was in uh, eighth grade, and and pressing those little foam earbuds up against my ears as tight as they could, so I could hear uh, more bass response. Yes. Uh, <laughs> when I was listening to exit stage left, yeah, you know, with Xanadu, and you know, and, oh my gosh, a Little Village, auto and all that stuff, and just taking family trips to California and just listening to that cassette nonstop, and so, you know. I really loved and enjoyed and it was, it was a joy to play that stuff because it just resonated with me. And then, you know, like we were talking about snare drums earlier, you know, you just kind of go through phases or things in your life where you're like, okay, well then after that, I think I really got heavily into Alan Holdsworth. I think it was, uh, water on the brain part two that I was introduced to that Chad Wackerman played on Mm -hmm. when I was 16 years old. And I, that changed my life. I was like, Oh my gosh. And then from there, uh, I got really heavily into the Chick Corea electric band and all the Dave Weckl stuff. And Oh my gosh, anything that was on GRP at the time. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, so there was a lot of diversity, but it was always the rush stuff that really, you know, resonated with me. And, um, kind of going back to the Greg Bissonette thing, you know, good composers borrow great composer, steal all that stuff influenced me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like listening to all those albums and anything that I could get my hands on that, that, that made sense to me or that resonated with my soul. That was good that, you know, you, you listen to those albums and every little nuance and, and what the bass player is doing. And then like maybe the, the 150th time that you listen to, you're like, Oh, I never recognized that guitar part before oh yeah yeah and and so it really taught me how to listen and i think that really helped me well actually i know it helped me when i got to nashville and you're having to play with artists and you have to play those albums that these amazing drummers have played on yeah um like your paul and your eddie bear and your chris McHugh and and you know everybody else oh who's the one guy Oh. Who, who, was, who was I going to say?
1: Chad Cromwell, Near Z.
0: Oh, Chad. <laughs> oh, years. of course Near Z, but Chad, Near, and, I mean, it just, the list goes on and on.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, crazy. It's crazy. And,
0: uh, and so, oh, uh, oh my gosh, Wilson, Lonnie Wilson.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Lonnie Wilson.
1: All those Jody Messina records, man. Well, thank you. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, it's funny. I remember when I was, uh, when I got the Jody gig, listening to those albums, and I'm like, there are a lot of crashes going on like during the verse and the, pre- and I'm like, there's a lot of crash symbols and it was always just a crash symbol with a snare hit.
1: Yes. Yes. And, signature uh, Lonnie.
0: And, and the, yeah, totally signature Lonnie. And then, cause I never thought that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the, the more that I listened, I was like, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. This is so good, you know. This is a guy that has spent years and years and years playing on hits and hearing playbacks and knowing what works and what doesn't work. And uh, when I I had a paradigm shift in my thinking of just going, you yeah, know, I'll do that, I'll do this, because I had to learn those those records inside and out. Yeah. And uh, boy, I tell you, what a what a learning experience. But anyway, back to listening to all those records as a kid, it really taught me how to dissect and learn parts for the artists that I had to play for, because we're playing for the artist. It's not our, our solo act. we got to play what's on those albums that the fans have heard hundreds of times. And so anyway, kudos to Lonnie and all the greats out there, because that's one thing I do miss Mm. uh, being in Salt Lake is just that, that amazing depth of, of, uh, playing and musicianship. And, uh, and, and most of those guys are just some of the most, uh, kindest coolest human beings.
1: Very much. And
0: just amazing, amazing players. I can't say enough good things about those guys. You know, it's interesting about Neil. Um, I think it was Ryan. Ryan Smith from Shure that had texted me, I was like gassing up my truck at Costco and I got a text from Ryan and he goes, oh my gosh he goes, Neil has passed and and I'm like what? Yeah. Like, I was like Neil who? Like what are you talking about? And I tried to call him but I think he was in rehearsals with a an artist and I immediately went on Facebook and uh, I was like, oh my gosh you gotta be kidding yeah. and uh, it was pretty emotional um, but anyway aside aside from from all that, I just loved Neil's outlook. I loved his uh zest for life. I loved that he didn't let any grass grow under his feet and that that phrase that he would always say, you know, whether it be riding his motorcycle or just having time with the band or time with his family or or just you know time doing other things that he really, you know, was passionate about was what's the most excellent thing I can do today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, ever since, uh, I got the news that he passed, uh, back in, I think it was January that I, I don't think there's a day that has gone by where I just think to myself, what's the most excellent thing I can do today, whether it's, you know, family, friends, saying hello to someone reaching out, connecting, uh, drumming, listening to something, you know, taking some, some me time, you know, Mm -hmm. and just thinking every day, what's the most excellent thing I can do. And it's amazing when you say those words out loud and again, not to be cheesy. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you say those words out loud, it, it, it gives you a a bit of a sense of like positivity, like, Hey man, anything's possible. (laughs) What's the most excellent thing I can do today? and uh and and whatever that is for you man do it do it and uh so anyway i i think it's cool that you know neil did what he did and his legacy and just who he was as a person and uh, also as a drummer and and just everything else is just an un, an unbelievable body of work yeah uh sonically and you know through his books as well
1: yeah for sure and uh, again um our mutual friend, Tad Jacobson sent me a link to your <laughs>
0: Tad, love <that> guy.
1: <laughs> sent me a link to your r forty tribute to Neil that you did a few years ago, almost twenty five minutes long of one song after another. Um, it was just great. What was the inspiration to do that? What led to that?
0: Um, you said a few moments ago where it's like, you know, you didn't want to be a Neil clone. It's just, it was, it was inspiring. And that's how it was for me. I had no desire. I shouldn't say desire. It it wasn't a part of the, a part of who I was to say, Oh, I'm going to be just like Neil or this or that. It was just, it's, it's almost like listening to classical music and a classical pianist, you know, learning that stuff note for note. Yeah. And that's the kind of joy that that, that music brought to me in my life. And, and in my musical journey, And so, uh, several years ago I was thinking about, you know, putting out some videos on, you know, kind of a day in the life of like what I do and sessions and video game stuff and everything else. And I, I thought, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know how many people might watch that or might find it interesting or not interesting. And then I started thinking, well, it would be fun to do a tribute. And then I thought, I thought, well, if I did a tribute, who would it be? And and literally, I was I was thinking like like a Phil Collins or Stuart Copeland or a. And then I was like, oh Neil, I should do a Neil thing, <laughs> and, and then I started thinking about it, and then, and then I thought to myself, well, if I did an, a Neil thing, what songs would I pick? Because you know, yeah, catalog's pretty vast, and there's so many epic epic things out there. And so I started kind of going through songs and, and, you know, making a set list. And then in that set list, I would pick out, pardon me, uh, sections of the song, like from, say, 30 seconds to, you know, a minute 45 or, or whatever those sections would be that I thought would be some of the most iconic sections in those songs. Yeah. And then I went over to uh, my buddy Joel Pack Studio in Salt Lake, and I just said, hey, man, I've compiled... All these songs together. Can we put them together in a medley? And so he helped me put together the medley of all the songs, where you know the edits and the cuts went together, and we put a click on everything, and mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, and, and kind of coming back to what we talked about, where it's like you know the click. There was some ebb and flow, and going into this song and coming down to this song, and then ramping back up to this song. And, wow! Yeah. And once we were done, I was like, holy crap! This is like twenty four. Twenty-four minutes long. I think it was like 20 twenty-plus songs, twenty-six songs, something like that.
1: Yeah, just and under so twenty-five anyway, minutes. Anyway, Joel.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so uh, so Joel had uh, sent me an MP3 of the medley, and I just listened to it. You know, every chance I got, day and night, when I'd go running or go on a bike ride or whatever, I just listened to it and listened to it. And uh, when I'd be walking on the trail, I would just be air drumming. <laughs> to this thing and by the way i love air drumming it's just (laughs) the best and so and so i was just getting all the and then i thought to myself well maybe i should chart it out maybe i'll have like some poster boards if i'm going to do a video of this and just to kind of remind me what the sections are i'm like no joel you got to get this down so i you know i have this um you may you may be the same way but i always have like these internal conversations with myself and uh, so I'm like, no, Joel, come on. You got this. You can do this.
1: I do, but I call myself Joel. That's what's really weird. My internal... <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs>
0: well, it, I, it's with a soft jam. sure. It's a, it is. But, um, yeah. Like yogging But uh, so anyway, I memorized all this stuff. And then the first time that I sat down at the kit... And by the way, like I thought, well, if I'm going to do this video, I'll set my kit up like Neil's current setup. Like, you know, mm-hmm. why not? Right. And so when I actually sat down and started practicing this, I remember getting halfway through it and, and like stopping and just going, Oh no, like, what am I thinking? What have I done? This is, (laughs) this is crazy. Because first of all, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of material. And second of all, it's gotta be done properly because the fans will pick this thing apart and it would not be good. And so I just thought, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep going for
1: it. I'm sorry. It reminds me of the conversation the band had with themselves after they recorded Hemispheres. They said, "Wait a minute. Uh oh. What have we done?" You <laughs> know.
0: <laughs> oh, I could imagine. Yeah. Uh oh. It's it's, it's we... one it's. Yeah, it's one thing to play the stuff, but then to like come up with the stuff and play it. Oh, I, oh my god! That's
1: what's crazy. I'm sorry. Go on, I, just. Yeah, I get. I mean, no, but I know
0: I love that. But that's. You're right. You're just like what? I mean, I, I'm. I've got the luxury of just you know learning what has already been created.
1: Yes. And uh, yeah.
0: So so yeah. I I I rehearsed it. I had blood blisters because you know I'm used to playing two and four in the studio and all that kind of stuff. And I just, my hands were just callous like crazy. And, and, uh, and so I took a few, few days off and then, um, went into Rigby road studios on a Tuesday and set up some GoPros and a couple of lights, got everything mic'd up. Uh, we did a run through. We did two takes. The first run through was just to make sure that pro tools wasn't going to crash. Cause it was like, 20-some minutes long, mm-hmm. and the the second take is what you see oh, okay. uh, on the video.
1: Okay. So good, man.
0: And so, so the inspiration behind it was love the music, love the drums, love beating the living crap out of the drums, and Neil was uh, and is just uh, such an inspiration. And, you know, again, coming back to, like, being a, a, a classical musician, you know, just learning all that stuff note for note, it's just a joy to play, and it just it just feels good. And you know, not to sound cheesy, but it just it's it's makes makes you happy when you play it. You know, it's just it's fun. Yeah. And so that's that's why I did what I did. It was for no other reason but just to play that music and to have fun playing it, and to set up the drums and to crank up those high toms and, and just, you know, just go for it.
1: The tones you got were so great, man. You just really got the, the toms dialed in. It's funny, I was playing some of this for my son yesterday. There's a video of you, it's just the drums and not the music. And I'm wondering that if how that changed or why that changed. And um...
0: Well, what happened was, uh, after four years, for some reason, YouTube had taken down uh, the R40 tribute that had all the music on it just because of all the copyright material, which, you know, I understand that. Yeah. Um, but, and so I just thought, well, it's, it's still up on Facebook and and on my Instagram. Okay. Uh, and so I, so, so I thought, well, if YouTube is going to take it down, then I'll just take away the music and leave the drums. And, uh, so that's, that's what's on YouTube. And then I think, uh, uh, natu- my, uh, the, the natural my natural science is, video is still up on YouTube. It is.
1: That's great. That is great. Yeah, it, it's yeah. fun to 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 listen to the drums. And we are sitting there listening to it. I said, "Okay, let's play." Name that tune. Just just while right. while we're listening. The, okay, what? <laughs> test your rush knowledge. You know, just by listening to that. That's hilarious. Um, what is the rest of your year looking like, or is it hard to tell <laughs> under the current situation? Uh, It's
0: it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, up, up until March, you know, much like, you know, everybody else, you know, we had a lot of gigs on the books and uh, right now I think um, the gigs that I have on the books are just, you know, some live ones coming up in July. If July, you know, happens, you know, everybody's uh, either canceled or postponed stuff till the fall, but we're still not sure, you know, what's going to happen. And so, in the interim, you know, I'm feverishly just setting up uh gear and and uh getting all that stuff worked out. Uh, it's also given me an opportunity to put my rototom uh, drum set together, which is <laughs> which is awesome. but wow. uh, yeah, it's kind of hilarious, but anyway, it's a pet project of mine just trying to collect all the sizes and make that happen but um but yeah, it's just as far as gigs. Uh, I've just had a lot of people reach out to me that just want me to start doing drum tracks and then just sending them to them until, you know, things lift here. I know here in Utah, uh, the governor is uh, kind of doing uh, a soft opening, I guess you want to call it, of mm-hmm. the state, where they're allowing more people to gather and and certain things to happen. But uh, I think uh, they're thinking that by fall... Uh, September sometime where hopefully everything will be somewhat back to normal. But um, I've been talking to a lot of my uh, uh, friends that have uh, AV companies that do a lot of big shows out here.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, they were just thinking that, you know, it might not be till 2021 until you start seeing you know mass gatherings for concerts. Yeah. Which I'm kind of, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. I, I try not to think that way. I'm trying to be positive and, yeah. you know, kind of taking this scenario, you know, three days at a time because everything's changing so rapidly. But as far as you know, me and my family, we're just, you know, staying creative and and staying positive and, uh, you know, like you're saying earlier everybody has just stepped up to the plate technologically wise and just have reinvented how they're communicating, how they're, you know, uh, being creative and playing and sharing and, you know, doing all sorts of zoom calls and Facebook lives. And it's just, it's been amazing. And, you know, uh, I saw the other day, which I don't think I've ever seen before, but it was a a live, a Facebook live with John DeChristopher and Steve Gadd. I was like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That was cool. I mean, you don't, you don't really see that very often where it's like, you know, you, these artists go on and just kind of talk candidly and take questions. And
1: yes, it's it been pretty amazing. awesome. So yeah.
0: Yeah. So there, there has been some positivity coming out of this and, and I'm hoping that, uh, everybody stays positive and, and, uh, keeps dreaming big and, and, keeps making things happen because really uh you know the dynamic of what we do and how we do it has changed and you know whatever we can do to to do great things because of this yeah is up to us it, it, you know kind of like what we were it, talking about before if it's to if it's to be it's up to me you know don't wait right. for someone else you know make it happen
1: there's there's so many opportunities right now. If 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 you're tapped into assistance that uh, you know from different areas, whether it's um, you know music cares or it's it's through unemployment, uh, you know services mm-hmm. or things like that, then here's mm-hmm. a beautiful opportunity to, to to take a breath and finally dig into the things that. We're always like, oh man, I got to learn these songs for this gig, or I've got to do this. And like, I've always thought, man, what would be so awesome to go on sabbatical, spend a lot of time in the practice room, really hone my skills, and get better at recording, and all these things. And it's like, well, somebody was listening, and my wish was granted. Now, (laughs)
0: that's right. I,
1: I, I have a friend that's in the hospital, and he's getting better, but he had a rough weekend, and I was really worried about him. So that. So I can theory. I can throw all that away. I'm like, okay, listen. I don't care if I have time to practice. I just don't want anybody else to get hurt. So th- this is a weird time, and when we're having good family time together, because my son might be going to school next year, uh, we're just we're enjoying this in a in a weird, almost sadistic way. And I'm like, God, I feel guilty, especially when I have know some people that have gotten sick. But but if you're taking care of yourself and you're doing these things, man, here's a great opportunity to, to rediscover your passion, rediscover, or to discover new things and new skills that is probably going to be more permanent than we realize, um, you know. I, I
0: love everything you're saying, and, and, you know, what I'm hearing is just, you know, take time for yourself. Take time to get creative. Let your, you know mind be settled a bit and spend time with your family and just regroup and uh you know make some things happen i, I was going to say i've been reading um this book uh shep gordon the legend of Supermensch, and uh <laughs> shep gordon there's also uh, a a documentary i think it's on itunes where you can download it for like eight bucks, but it's a documentary about Shep Corden, who's been Alice Cooper's manager for the past 40 plus years and also created the celebrity Shadows and has managed Teddy Pendergrass, Luther Vandross, Anne Murray. Um, the, oh my gosh. The, the list goes on and on and on. And, um, but the documentary Mike Myers put together, uh, from Wayne's world mm-hmm. and, uh, if you don't know who Shep Gordon is, go check out the documentary. It's just called Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. And the book is even more detailed. But it's it's amazing what that guy did, how he did it, and um how he conducted himself with business and always tried to create win win situations and always went after the goal that he created. And he always said, Don't wait for history make history
1: yeah i love that
0: and i just yo know, yeah and and uh anyway so i just went off on a tangent but yeah if, if you if you're looking for a good book and something to you know be uplifting and to be positive and to, to kind of re-energize you check out that documentary or the book it's amazing
1: it sounds familiar i, I we might have had another guest that mentioned that but that we've got the time folks there's, you know, yes. let's, let's do it, you know, because we're all anxious to get back to work. But then when okay. we do, we're going to be like, oh man, I wish I had time to do this or that. Well, now's, yeah, now's be it.
0: grateful for what you've got right now.
1: Oh <laughs> right. uh, man, Joel, thank you so much for doing this and I, I, I appreciate it so much. It's, it's, it's great to finally connect and um, I just, I love your insight, your, your and positivity Um, so I just can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us.
0: Dude, thank you so much for having me, uh, be a part of this. It's, it's such a pleasure. And, and, uh, it's been wonderful chatting with you
1: onward and upward, man.
0: Onward and upward. Exactly. Dude, Matt, thank you so much.
1: Have a beautiful weekend and, uh, take good care of yourself. You too, Joel. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks brother. Take care. Bye-bye. So there you go, my conversation with Joel Stevenette. I want to thank Joel. I want to thank Tad Jacobson again for hipping me to Joel and sending me that video a couple years ago of Joel doing the uh, Neil Peart Tribute. Joel's one of those rare people in our industry that what you see is what you get. Uh, Just a really cool person, and I hope to get some time to hang with him at some point but uh, his playing is, is, is amazing. And uh, check out the video links. I've concluded uh, one of the YouTube links in our show notes. And, of course, you can find the others from there. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albeda's interview with uh, an up-and-coming drummer named Dave Weckl. I'm not sure. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right. Dave Weckl, I think, is his name. Uh, we are super excited. I uh, want to thank Joe Ganzas from around the kit for connecting us with Dave. So check out that interview next week with Dave Weckl. As for now, stay safe, stay positive, keep practicing, uh, stay connected with loved ones and all your people, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.